So that's where we are today. I just want to tell you what's actually going on. So pray with me as you, uh, if you will, and we'll get uh, started here as well. Kind Father, thanks for your presence with us. Thank you for the gift of your Spirit with us right now, even in this room. Holy Spirit, I ask that today you would speak to me. And then I ask that you would speak through me as well. That, that something that what, I, that what I have to say would, would connect, would be important. And you, and you would take that and you would make it truly significant in the lives of the folks here. But then I ask for more. I ask that you would speak to each one here today. Speak to them in the way that you do. And like Norm was telling us to, to listen, that we would start to identify the voice that prompts and nudges us. Speak to them that you might also speak through them. In this world, there is so much pain. Give us the ability to mitigate, to mediate some of that pain, and to make someone else's life better. Speak to us today with this in mind. We long to hear from you. Amen. Um, so, for those of you who haven't been here before, we're in the middle of what we call a series, and we call it LSD, Love, Sex, Dating. It's the ideal thing to talk about at Thanksgiving because it's the thing that most people are really thankful for. They're thankful for love, thankful for sex, and thankful for dating as part of that process. So, it, it is a good focus there. I want you to have great relationships, and so that's why we're talking about this. It's all of October. Um, that's what we're doing. And, and some people think that church quite often is, is so spiritual and otherworldly kind of stuff that it doesn't have any benefit for regular people. The lives of regular folks are just untouched. And I, and, and I disagree completely. So I, I want to tell you that we at Into One are for great relationships. We are championing great relationships. We are all about great marriages. We are completely for great families. We are for people. And I've talked to so many people and I've looked into their eyes and, and I've seen the pain and I've seen the regret and I've seen the disillusionment. I've seen that, that brokenness and I ache. I ache for these people and I ache with these people and I want things to get better. There is more than enough unavoidable pain in this world. Why on earth would we need to add more, to find more, to bring it upon ourselves? So why would we need to burden ourselves with further bad choices? We all make bad choices. They've happened. Some of us continue to make them. And my goal is that you will be able to live better and that you will live with fewer regrets. So remember, these messages as we go through, they're all tied together. So I'm going to re refer back and forth, but, but if you're with us and if you're interested, I'd strongly encourage you, go to the website or go to iTunes, download last week, follow along, get the whole thing because they are designed to go together into a big package. Go and listen to it and let's go forward together as we do that. So last week I left you with a question. And do you remember? Any idea what that question was? Kind of confusing. It was, it was delightfully confusing. That's the way I like to think of it. Are you the person... The person you're looking for is looking for. Many of us get into dating or relationships and, and even into marriage thinking, if I can just find the right person, everything's going to be all right. And last week we called that the right person myth. And we discovered by the end that the right person that I need to find is not so much out there, but in here. I need to first become 
the right person. I don't need to just find that right person. And in these relationships, they quite often start, start with uh, lots of chemistry. Maybe a little bit weak on character, but definitely strong on chemistry. And they say um, they stay together, they, they, they hang out together, that grows, they uh, increase in that. Maybe it turns into a relationship, and that relationship seems to turn into kind of a chemistry experiment. And then they realize that things are not always easy, and there are relationship conflicts. And they get some relationship conflict, and that turns into chemistry problems. And then the chemistry experiment that they've been working on blows up. Now, what happens when the chemistry experiment that was your relationship blows up? You get a Franken marriage. You almost certainly know someone who was in a Franken marriage. The marriage was all about chemistry. And then it just blew up. And now they're in a mess. What happened? Well, we, we identified some of the things that are going on there. Their past snuck into their... Um, the past that was in their present snuck into their future. What they were doing became what they used to do. And what you used to do, you take with you into what you now do. You don't just forget it. And so here's what a lot of married people did. They spent about a year planning and organizing their wedding. Making it all perfect. Dealing with details. But they spent about 10 years developing and ingraining habits, lifestyle choices that destroy marriage. One year to plan the wedding, usually with little thought to actually preparing to actually being married. But then they spent years developing habits, acquiring baggage, strengthening addictions, storing up debt, tenaciously building up the things that would then work to unravel their marriage that they spent a year planning for. I don't want this to be your story. I don't want that to be the way things go for you. So at the end of last week, I gave you a location to go for a list of what love looks like, right? You remember that? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we looked at a couple of them and tried to say, what would this look like in real life, in relationships? And then I know, I know that all of you went home right away and immediately went and read the rest of the list and said, what else can I do? How else can I look at this? And maybe you started looking at your relationship and you said, how much of my relationship looks like this? And maybe you come up and you said, my partner has absolutely zero of these qualities. The sad thing is that in our culture, we do this sort of stuff all the time. How many people who recognize that they're in a faulty relationship are going to recognize that and then do nothing about it. The answer that we normally have is, well, then you obviously leave. We don't solve. We avoid. And today, today I have a new question for you, a new training exercise that you can look at here. Here's the next evaluator that you can look at. Yes, you are so in love. Yes, it's never been like this before. No one has ever had what you have. But what is it about that person that you really love? What do you love about them? We say that we're in love and we feel love. But what is it about that person that you love, that the chemistry, 
The being in love part, that's great. And we talk about that and we sing about that. But what is it specifically? What is it clearly that you love about him or that you love about her? The about him stuff, well, that's what shows up in the relationship. If you have not paid attention to that, and if you have not taken the time to become someone that the person that you're looking for is looking for, then there is deep potential for problem. So we ended last week with a verse from 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 11. That's where we ended up. And so I just want to bring that back up to you now. We're going to start from here. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, when I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Last week we talked about the idea that children's stories always end up when the right people get together. Then they live happily ever after. That's a childhood way of thinking about relationships. And boy, is that childhood way of relationships popular with adults. We buy into it all the time. It's not just about finding the right person. It's also very much about becoming the right person. And as much as I think that things have changed over time and we look at things differently and what it used to be is not the way it is now, I believe that men still continue to set the pace for the relationship. They have a large influence on driving it and deciding on where it can go. So you can hear that as, men, you are more responsible. I am more responsible in a relationship. So today, I want to welcome you into our gentlemen's club. This is a club that's all about viewing women. That's right. The biblical view of women. How are we to view women? It's not just about the woman that you date, but it includes the women that you date. It's not just about the women that you are in love with, but it includes the woman that you are in love with. Here's how we are to view women, and, and, and it is so extraordinarily different than how we are taught to view uh, women every single day. And the challenge is this. In our culture, women are viewed, presented, talked about, and sung about like a commodity. Do you know what a commodity is? A commodity has a value, a label that's put on something. It's attached to it, and it tells you its cost. It tells you its worth. It tells you its price. And I will take the commodity, and I will use it, however, until I find something of greater value. Or maybe I will take one commodity and trade it in for something that I perceive to have greater value because of the qualities that have changed or because of the newness of the model. My goal is to upgrade my commodities. I will bump up to the next level as I go. And it's okay because I'm not really that attached to it. It's just something that I use until I'm done using it and then I will trade it in or sell it and move on to a new commodity. And men in our culture, every single day, the message that we get from a thousand different sources about women sounds like this. Take me. Use me. Do whatever you want to with me. And then trade me in for another one. And then we go to another movie, or, or we watch another show, or we listen to another song, 
or we watch another ad, or we go to another internet site, and we get the same message again. Take me. Use me. Do whatever you want to with me. Then trade me in for another one. And this is the message that we get day after day and week after week. So consequently, as a society, we've got a bunch of men or people in men's bodies who think like little boys. They think women are like a commodity. And today, the story that we're going to look at, that we're going to read about, if you, if you adopt this kind of stuff, and, and, and it, it will set you up for spiritual development, and it will certainly aid you in relational success as well. This is for single guys and married guys. But it will also be very much for women. And women, there are many of you who need to hear this because this whole thing has been muddled up for you too. With that kind of an intro, it's not going to be hard to believe that there's a bunch of what we're going to say today that's going to fly in the face of what our culture has to say. Today you're going to have to decide which voice you will listen to. Which voice will you follow? And there's a voice that's going to say, that's so old-fashioned. You know what? Nobody does that anymore. No one talks like that. You're so weird. And that pushback, that, that message that you feel underneath there, well, you're more right than I wish was true. But do you know that when these ideas were first introduced, they were as strange. You know what? Honestly, they were probably more strange and more foreign than they are to you. In the first century, when these ideas were being introduced, women actually were a commodity. They were property. They were chattels. They were not simply viewed and treated as a commodity. They actually, legally, were. Prostitution was legal and encouraged. And in the Roman and the Greek world, you owned slaves. The richer you were, the more slaves you owned. The more female slaves or male slaves you owned was a status symbol. And you could do to and with these slaves anything that you wanted up to and including killing them. And no one could say anything about it. In the first century, no one really wanted little girls. In Rome, they didn't want children at all. In the second and third century, this became almost an epidemic. So many little baby girls were thrown into the river or just left on the streets to die. Nobody cared. The value of life was just so much lower, so much lower that we can't even comprehend living in a world that was like that kind of all the time, and this is the world that those children were born into. Men, well, they didn't want to have children because it meant that they'd have to split up their estate with them. Roman and Greek men became heavy users of prostitutes, and they used them basically like birth control. You just stopped having sex with your wife. It's too expensive. It's too risky. And you can get what you want by just going down the street. At two separate times in Roman history, there were actual bills before the Senate to mandate marriage. The upper-class men had just given up on marriage. Why do it? Wives are a big hassle. Wives lead to children. 
if I have children, then I've got to take care of them. I've got to think about them. I've got to raise them. They're going to take my stuff. When I get old, I'll just look for a responsible adult male, and I'll give him my, my estate. I'll adopt him. He is now my heir. And I can see how he turned out before I have to commit anything to him. There was an epidemic in the mistreatment of women. Women had no status. They didn't have any rights. They had no voice. And to imagine that in this time, it's so hard. But that is an absolutely horrible, horrible world. Even the wives of the wealthy, wealthy people were just a step or two above slaves. In a Roman culture, you could only have one wife. So there was no multiple wife kind of scenarios that were going on there. That was wrong. But you could have as many mistresses as you wanted. So lots and lots of mistresses, only one wife. Women were commodity. They had no status. They had no rights. And it was into this world that we can't even imagine that Jesus spoke. And then Peter, his friend and his follower, spoke. And the Apostle Paul spoke. And what they had to say about women to us, well, maybe you'll hear it and you say, yeah, 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 you know what? I've heard that before. I've heard stuff like that. It's been around forever. But in the first century, in Roman culture, this was absolutely staggering. It was confusing. And honestly, to people who were hearing it, it was almost nonsensical. They just couldn't imagine somebody saying this stuff. And so in Christian communities, the status of women was so elevated that women flocked to them from all over. And within these little gatherings, these little ecclesias, they were treated entirely differently than they were in the rest of their world. And as a living, breathing environment right now, men, we need to get back to living out the way that God views women. Jesus started this off. He got all his people together one day and he sat them all down and he, and he told them, get out your notebooks, guys. He says, hey, John, I'm going to tell you something new. Write this down. And John says, right now? Right? Jesus says, yes, now. John, get your notebook. We're going to write this. And he said this, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another. And the guy in the back raises his hand. He goes, uh, even the women? And Jesus says, yes. Even the women love like there is no difference. No, no, I don't mean romantic love. But just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Look around that room. We've got slaves. We've got free people. We've got different colors of people. We've got different wealths of people, men and women. And when you get together, I want you to give equal love equal concern, equal interest, equal honor and respect to each of these people, regardless of whether you are slave or free, male or female. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says that's our indicator. That's what we should be known for. Love one another is our insider's card. That's how you will know, and that's how people outside of this group will know. Love one another shows that you are like Jesus. 
And he is the perfect manifestation of God the Father on earth. God is love, and that should be your tattoo, visible, so that everyone can see. The fact that you would give that kind of love, that kind of honor, that kind of respect to everyone, regardless of their background, race, or gender, will send notice of something. Something new is going on. It's not what it used to be. And men, that means that every single woman that you're ever eyeball to eyeball with in the office, in the gym, on the subway, in the club, in the parent council meeting, at your kids' sports team games, your mother-in-law, your wife's sister, every one of them, here's how I want you to treat them. I want you to love her like I love you. And then Paul, he came along and he contextualized this a bit for the Romans because Paul spoke mostly to Gentiles and Gentiles are not Jewish people. and That's sort of like us. In Ephesians 5, he said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. All right, so this woman, I'm supposed to give of myself for her? And Jesus, like he gave himself for the church? That's what you're saying? And Paul says, yeah, that's it. You've got it. Well, that's new. That's different. Frankly, I think there's some things about that that my wife is really going to like. She's going to like some of these changes. That's what we're shooting for. That's what it means to be Christian men. So whoever you are, you need to start practicing now with every woman you interact with. And then Peter comes along. Good old Peter. Peter used to spend a lot of time with Jesus. They hung out a lot for years. And one day Peter walks up to Jesus and Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman. And he's shocked. Ah! We're here to have a ministry. And you can just see Peter's head kind of going back and forth. Who saw this? We've got to enter damage control. We've got to manage our candidate properly. He's talking to a woman. And men, we don't talk to women. Why? I'll tell you why. Because follow me with this thing here. Men don't talk to women because they were women. That's it. That's the whole thing. What do you think? Why are you doing that? You just ignore women. They're non-entities. But she's not just a woman. It's a Samaritan woman. That's double cooties. And then... Jesus, he goes on, he's going to drink out of her jar. Ew! Are you kidding me? You're going to drink out of the same thing that a Samaritan woman drank out of? Who do you think you are? Who would do that? The Son of God would do that. Another day, lots of commotion. John 8. It's a big hullabaloo. And there's a crowd of people. And there is Jesus on the ground. 
kneeling beside a woman caught in adultery. He is associating himself directly with an adulterous woman where people can see. Just think of the variety and variation of the kinds of sin cooties that he's picking up from her right there. And he was okay doing that. And Jesus said to the woman after the whole story in John uh, 8.10, I don't condemn you. No, go and live your life. This, take this, this do-over and go. And poor Peter saw this. And it messed with him. And he learned from it. And then later on in his life, he writes this to other Christian men. In 1 Peter 3, Husbands, in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. You stop for a moment here because it's easy to glaze over this stuff sometimes. Why does Peter have to write this down? Doesn't everybody already know that? Isn't that what we already always do? Honestly, Peter, stop and think. You're writing the Bible. We all already get that. Isn't that a given? But in the world that Peter lived, he knew that he had to say it because all around, women were being treated as commodities. And so Peter says, treat the women in your life with respect. But there's, there's the guy in the back again with his hand up. But Peter, they're just women. And this word respect, it's translated as respect. It comes from a tiny little Greek word that only shows up once in the New Testament. And when that happens, the author is really trying to point something out. He's trying to make it clear. He's trying to make it distinct. He's trying to make a very specific point. Translated, that word means to grant or assign them honor. And this is hard, man. Because you're not going to get help with this in the locker room. You're not going to get help with this at work. You're not going to get help with this through movies or TV shows or music. So many of the ways that we spend our time. Peter was saying that when you see women in your life, go ahead and assign them honor. <laughs> and again, there's that question in the back. Yeah, but you see, my wife, honestly, she's not really all that honorable. And men are saying this, and they're talking as they read the letter that Peter wrote, they're saying, he's not even here. He's never met our wives. How can he say this? How can he say that? He doesn't know what he's talking about. And what they're getting is that this is a new way of thinking. This is a mind that is being transformed. And he goes on to say, treat them with honor as the weaker partner. Now, don't get mad. Don't get upset about that. It just means that on average, husbands can out-arm wrestle their wives. On average. Not everyone. But here's what's happening in the background. What's the thing that's going on there? Because in this culture, might makes right. What's right? Whatever the stronger person does just became right. Might was leveraged towards those who had might. The strong protect the strong. The wealthy protect the wealthy. And Peter comes along and he says, it's a new day. That stuff is passed away. Men, you are to use your power for the sake of your 
wife. You are supposed to use your power for those who lack power. Use your uh, physical strength and leverage it. Use your influential strength. Use your financial strength all for the weak. If you're a married man, you leverage your power not for your sake, but for her sake. Forget what you've seen. Forget what everybody else just does. And he goes on, as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the glorious gift of life. Man, he says, your wives, the women in your life, they answer to the same heavenly father that you do. You are joint heirs in Christ. You are not superior. And when Jesus died, he died for the women as well as the men. Every woman you see is a woman that Jesus Christ died for, so be careful how you treat them. Her heavenly father is God. Now that sounds kind of nice and kind of spiritual, right? But think about it that, like this. God says to you, sure, you too. Go on out and have a good time tonight, and I'll just sit right here on the porch cleaning my gun, polishing my lightning bolt. He says that men, you're accountable to me for how you treat women. And then he goes on to say, men, if you don't get this right, God's not going to answer your prayer so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the way he's describing that relationship. Do this so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So because of the way you treat a woman, God's not going to answer my prayers? Exactly. It's a big deal. The girls that you're attracted to, the girls that you're not attracted to, the girls that are attracted to you but you're not terribly interested in them, any and every category of woman, it is your responsibility to honor and treat them with respect. Start it now and let it all be practiced for the day that you meet that person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. You cannot date as a slave owner, rent a tux, and say I do, and magically turn this guy into someone who knows how to honor and respect his wife. That's just not how it works. And you're surrounded by men, married men, divorced men, who have tried it. They all thought, once I get married, everything changes. And nothing like that changes. you got a ring. The character doesn't change. The habits don't change. Relational ignorance doesn't change. It's all the same. And they thought that somehow, even though I don't know how to treat a woman, it will all change because I have met the right person. And when you meet the right person, everything's just going to be all right. They tried it. And it was a disaster. And then the chemistry evaporates. And I don't want you to go through that. I don't want that to be your story. And I don't want you to have to figure out how am I going to do it and how do I get through this. I want you to avoid it. To do that, you're going to have to learn how to renew your mind to think differently. And you're going to have to make up your mind to behave differently. So let's talk first about renewing your mind. First, what do you entertain yourself with? Start with music. If you have on your playlist any song that refers to a woman as a bitch or a whore, 
than by sundown. That needs to be erased from your playlist forever. This is a much bigger deal than you think about it. Why? Because in every country that there's ever been a genocide, and in every country that there's ever been slavery, do you know how it begins? Someone comes along, and they dehumanize a person or an individual by ascribing a name or a label to that person. In Rwanda, in 1994, the Hutus decided that the Tutsis were simply cockroaches. They're cockroaches. So we can stomp them out. They're not even human. They're your next-door neighbors. But it doesn't matter anymore. Just go and treat them any way you want. And more than 800,000 people died in about 100 days. In Nazi Germany, the Nazis called all the Jewish women whores. Every Jewish woman was a whore. The Jews in general were rats. They're not human. They are an infestation. Therefore, we can and we should exterminate them. And we have done the same thing in our country with natives. And our neighbors to the south did the same thing during the years of slavery. And they did the same thing during the years that led up to the civil rights movement. We gave names to people and allowed, that allowed us to treat them as less than people. And of any country in the world, we have seen so much within our border and right next to our borders and in clear viewing range that we should be so extraordinarily intolerant to those kinds of labels that even that kind of behavior, it shouldn't even exist in our culture. And it's to our shame and our degradation that it still does. But if you continue to entertain yourselves with terminology and phrases that talks about women as bitches and whores, then you are eventually going to give yourself permission to treat them like that. To treat them by the label that you have given them. Now, I already know that this is not popular, all right? I already know that I'm not cool. And I already know that I just don't understand. I don't understand because it's not really that big of a deal. Because, you know, it's just a style. It's just the way we do things. It's just part of my culture to be about that. Not all cultures are equal. Christians have never thought that all cultures are equal. And a culture that is comfortable referring to a woman as a whore or a bitch is a culture that's of lesser value than a culture that says that every single woman is beloved and made in the image of God. And that the same Jesus that died for you, sir, that same Jesus died for her. That is a superior culture. And as Christian men, we need to lead the way to be completely intolerant of that kind of language. Let me make it clear, I'm not against music, but I am for raising the value of humanity at every chance I get. Second area, renew your mind, erotic imagery. When I was younger, no one, no one ever thought that we needed to do a sermon telling people that they shouldn't look at naked pictures of other people. It just seemed that everyone already knew that. Some people cared and some people didn't. But they knew. Well, the time has come where people have decided to say, relax, that's not a sin. It's just kind of a pastime. It's just kind of what I do. It's just 
something that I do to pass the time. And so single people and married people, if you have never heard it before, let me tell you, every time you sit down and entertain yourself with pictures of naked people, you are at school. You didn't know this, but in this particular school, you are learning these powerful lessons. Three of them. Lesson one, a real body isn't good enough. Come on, say it together loudly and proudly. A real body isn't good enough. Lesson two, one body isn't good enough. And lesson number three, your wife's body is not good enough. Tell her that. Look her in the eye and say these things to her. And then you're going to experience a whole new kind of chemistry. If you're single, this is going to apply later, but it, it, it doesn't get unlearned because you said, I do. Married women are thinking, okay, that explains a lot. There's a bunch of married men who are inconspicuously trying to think to themselves, okay, that explains a lot. The school you attend, without knowing about it, the school puts you into a place called confusion. Why do I think like that? Why do I feel that way that I do? Why don't I feel the way that I think I should? And if any of you would like a great romantic relationship now or later in life, it's time to check out of that school. You need to drop out. This school sets you up for extraordinary, extraordinary disappointment. But Graham, what's the big deal? It doesn't hurt anybody, right? I like history. Do you guys like history? Well, I do, so you're going to hear about it. Do you know back in WW2, the U.S. government gave the GIs all the cigarettes that they could smoke? And then a few years later, they went, uh-oh, that could kill you. And now it's hard to even find a place where you can smoke. Did you know that for years and years and years, there were Christians and crazy people like me that have been saying that pornography is bad for you? It's bad for your marriage. It's a sin against you. It's a sin against your spouse. It's a sin against God. And, and the cultural experts say, what a bunch of narrow-minded, prudish, hyper-moral, fun police. And now the research is coming in. And new, now non-Christian agencies from within our culture, like Fight the New Drug, are saying, uh-oh, we've got some new problems. If you spend enough time studying these three lessons, something changes chemically within your brain. Uh-oh, this is destroying marriages. Uh-oh, this is impacting real relationships because real women can't compete with fantasy. Uh-oh, this might not be a pastime. It might actually be a pathway that leads to something much bigger than we ever thought possible. Man, it leads you to view women as a commodity. And if you're a Christian man, you've got to step up and embrace a biblical view of women. You need to find a new freedom from and no longer just a freedom to. You need to remember that every single woman, even the woman on the screen, is made in the image of God. And your Savior died for her. And you were to honor that woman. You were to treat them all with equal value. They are not a commodity. They are loved by God. That school will destroy you. Do you know what that new research is showing? 
Erotic imagery behaves like a drug. Do you know what the function of that drug is? It deadens your desire for real women. Who wants that? And here's what a lot of people have thought. I'm single right now, so I'm just going to pig out on those images. Then when I get married, all the needs that those images met, my wife is now going to meet all of them. I've got some really bad news. In here and out there, you'll be surrounded by married men who thought the very same thing. And guess what happened? They kept going back to the old school. And their wives are heartbroken. Worried about how. How to compete with a thousand women who don't even exist. It's causing pain and destroying marriages all over because we never talked about it. Well, today, we're talking about it. You've heard, and now you know. There has never, ever been a story where someone said, yeah, I used to totally gorge myself on porn, and then I just put it all behind, and I never thought about it again after I got married. That story does not exist. It's time to address it now. She's not a commodity. She does not belong to you. She's a daughter of God the Father Almighty. Okay, that's all for the renew your mind part. That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, make up your minds to behave differently. Just for a moment, think about a woman that you have never met. A woman that you really, really, really want to meet. Because you just have so much respect for her. It's an author. Maybe, maybe, maybe she could sign your book or an actress or, or maybe a singer. And when, she sings, she just moves your heart when she sings. And you'd wait in a line, you'd wait in a long line even just to thank her or, or just to see her in real life, just to meet her. Consider how you were deeply touched by her art or her actions or her words. Think of one. Who would it be? Because if you had the opportunity to meet her, to be in her presence in a social gathering, you would know how to treat her. Do you know what you'd do? You'd defer. Defer means, no, you have that chair. Of course I'll get the door for you. Let me carry that for you. I can go get that for you. I can help you. I want to hear your story. Tell me what you think. You would defer. You would honor her. You wouldn't ask her to stand up and spin around so you could check her out. You would look her right in the eyes. You would honor her. Men, that is how you are to treat every woman you meet. It's the girl in the office. It's the woman in your neighborhood. It's that lady you see at the coffee shop. It's all of them. Last piece of advice. It's painful on the way in. It's transformative when completed. Very few people embrace this advice, but everyone who I've ever met who has embraced it fully, their lives have been changed, and they come back to me full of thanks. Here's the plan, okay? Get out your iCal, your Blackberry, your Daytimer, your wall calendar, however you keep track of the stuff that's going on in your world. Open it up and go to this date, October the 9th, 2017. And on that date, write in a new appointment. Save the date! You write in, resume dating today. Take a year off. 
Take a year out of every kind of female relationship, male-female relationship that has any potential to do anything romantic. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Three months in, you are going to find the person of your dreams. And you're going to be tempted. Just throw away that commitment. It must be wrong. Maybe it wasn't really for a year. Hey, maybe three months really is a year. But you don't give up. You just keep going. And that year is not spent waiting. It's not spent wallowing. That year is spent preparing. That year is spent renewing your mind. That year is spent getting in the habit of being in earnest pursuit of Jesus. That year is spent coming to church and maybe even serving. That year is spent reading and absorbing. That year is spent changing your habits and adjusting your entertainment choices. That year is spent detoxing your mind and your heart. That year is spent with new passwords and passwords that your friends have. That year is spent identifying vulnerable points and fortifying them with wise choices. That year is um, putting life into your system. It's, it's about growing your faith in real, in living ways. That year is about living by faith and growing in your generosity. That year is about getting out of debt. You've been putting garbage into your mind for years. You need to consciously be about putting truth into your mind. And it takes time. It takes consistency. But you change the way that you speak to women. And you change the way that you think about women. And in a year, you've taken an enormous step, an enormous step forwards in becoming the person that you're looking for, is looking for. And you have put the ways of childhood behind you. And you're taking a step forward to become the man of God that he created and called you to be. And there are a whole group of women out there who have basically given up believing that there are any guys like that left out there. Which means guys, if you get this right, you will become one of a very small, very desirable group of men. Think about that. Which voice will you listen to? Which voice will you follow? Kind Father, thanks for speaking to us today. Don't give up on us. We're not going to give up on you. We come face to face with some things that are hard and sometimes it seems too hard or it's too frustrating or there's too much hurt. Holy Spirit, meet us where we are. We ask that you would continue to heal us. Heal us on the inside that we might be set free from the bondages that we have put ourselves into. God, transform our hearts. Transform our minds. Transform our lives that we would bring honor and glory to you and to treat your children the way that you have treated us. Help us to be loving, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated.
as I send you out, I want to again remind you that we are Christ-centered. We are Spirit-empowered. And we are mission-focused. And we are to be on mission. Everyone. Everywhere. All the time. Thanks for being here today. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. And you proved that again today. Thanks for that. 